Have you ever struggled with keeping your players engaged and invested in your campaigns? I know I have. Monster of the Week offers a unique approach to storytelling that can help. Uh, listen in to learn how to create memorable moments and build tension in your games. Hello and welcome, heroes, to Crit Academy Dyson Dialogue. I'm your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Ian. I'm your co-host, Alex. And I'm your co-host, Brandon. If you're just joining us for the first time, this is the third and final part of our Monster of the Week RPG miniseries. Uh, Please go back and check those out as we're going to be delving into some advanced techniques. It is worth noting that a lot of these are system agnostic, so whether you're playing Monster of the Week or any other RPG, um, some of these will apply. Um... Let's get into it. So the first thing I want to talk about is we discussed briefly the different move sets that the uh, characters get, right? I, um, uh, there's actually guides to creating and adding your own moves, and you're even encouraged to adapt them sometimes if you change the theme of the Monster of the Week game. Like, for instance, a Monster of the Week game set in sci-fi is going to be slightly different in flavor than one set in 1980. It just occurred to me that we never actually said how the engine works. We touched on it enough. No, we did. We said that it was a 2D6 system. Right. But what I mean, though, is there's only five stats. Charm, cool, sharp, tough, and weird. And you add your modifier to the 2D6, and none of your modifiers ever go above a five. That's kind of there. what I meant by now that. Now you got it. Yeah, yeah. Now that's kind of just. Uh, I mean, we touched on it, but we didn't focus. Yeah, on as I say, it. most RPGs touch on that already, so that sort of focus. So, yeah. um, so the first thing we want to talk about is the the moves and adapting those to a setting you're running. So, for yeah. obvious reasons, the normal setting is 1980s, right? Um, so this may mean some of the moves may not work, and you may have to either adapt them or come up with new ones, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so. First of all, going through this game, if we want to run a, a different Monster of the Week setting, I'm, I'm having uh, Xenomorph and Alien vibes right now, yep. <laughs> so I think maybe we, should, we could talk about that and how we would adapt some of the abilities and stuff to kind like of fit that horror? theme. Like horror? Like thriller? Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, because you can't... They Make don't... They, they, they can't really kill the monster very easily in that, right? Shoot. Or even going... Back to exactly between they alien them. or aliens is two completely different tones. Yes. So for me, alien, where there's a monster that they can't just kill. Just one. Just one. I played Alien Isolation, and it was the scariest, most game. terrifying game that I have played. <laughs> because you can't just shoot and mow over the monster. You basically have to run away. So if I want to do Monster of the Week, which I think is a great mm-hmm. engine for that... I would have to change a lot of the stuff in the book, but yeah. only the way we perceive it, not the actual mechanics, right? right. We call that in D&D and other games, reflavoring, right? Oh, or yes. adapting. So if we want to do that, that's the scene. Let's, let's treat that as the scene we're in, right? Yeah. The monster is nigh invincible with, out, with only very specific conditions needing to be met for them to actually destroy it. Mm-hmm. So that means it's stalking them. They're fleeing. They're running away. Every twist and turn and every step into a room 
becomes a life-threatening moment. That's a predator, that? isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So, I, one of the good examples is there is uh, guns inside of uh, Monster of the Week. But if you want to go more lasery, you can change it from a revolver to a laser blaster, right? Yep. And still fit. It'll fit the, the, the more futuristic theme. Pew, right? pew, pew. What are some other changes you think, uh, simple changes that could be made to make some of the game fit that theme? Anyway? I'm now thinking about the Dead Space games. Uh, same. Ooh. Same. That's good. I'm on the same and path. Because what I want to point out is you have access to mining equipment because your character works on a mining ship, mm-hmm. but you also have access to military hardware. But ironically, the way the physiology physiology for the aliens in that game work, the, the actual morph. guns are actually the worst things you can use. Yeah, it's actually the mighty equipment that's used to break apart stuff. That's most effective? Right. Like your that's plasma awesome. cutter. Yes, in order to kill the necromorphs, you gotta cut, cut them apart. Shooting with a head won't kill them. No. Oh, you nice. have to dismember them. Okay. I think that um, whenever it comes to like your aliens and this thing that is always following you, I think what I would add to this flavor pot is that you don't originally know that this alien is following you. Like in the very, 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 my favorite thing, my favorite thing to do is level one, introduce something. Or level three, whenever you start, introduce something. And then like several months later, bring it back around. And so I would love to have the idea of the very first episode was this alien that you're talking about that's unkillable and they thought they killed it. And then as they go around from from city to city, hunting aliens, doing Scooby-Doo stuff, doing monster stuff, the alien is following them, and they get little clues and little hints throughout the thing that are just eerie and weird, because the best fear is the fear of the unknown. That's the one that's Ooh, fun. Like that. And so you don't really understand what it means that you come back and your entire like van is covered in cobwebs. <laughs> but you're just like, okay, okay. And so eventually it comes back around that this alien is alive and still following you and mm-hmm. like slowly trying to like eat you, but you just manage to get away. That's kind of what I where I would go with what you're talking about. And um, I would definitely I think the lasers would be a cool one to add. Another thing that I think would be very important to add would be the the um, the the detection, the the detection tools that um, ghost hunters use. But it like actually works, you know, um, not like minded <laughs> it didn't work. be able to use these detection tools. Yeah. Kind of going for the summer vein. I just briefly envisioned of. Let's say early on in a scenario, you encounter an alien parasite Ooh. and you kill them, but one egg survives and hatches and they have inherited memory. Oh, snap. And as this larva keeps growing and moving on, it keeps infecting and taking over the brain of various NPCs. So NPCs that were friendly in the past might now be enemies, but you don't know it yet. Oh, that's fascinating. Brandon, I thought you were about to lose your shit. What was going on over there? That's a really good that's idea. That's just an know? idea I had. What's that? What is it? Let's go. Let's hear it. You tell your players uh, you want them to make uh, their primary character mm-hmm. and another character for a different uh, story for ahead of time. 
You right. beat me to it. Yep. Okay. Actually, and you have them play on play as their their backup characters, and in their first game, they're getting slaughtered yep. left and right and from something they don't know that's what's attacking them. They have no idea what it is. And then you go to their their other characters saying, uh, like two months later, they're in there and they see what's happened, or rather they like okay, we got a mission. Something's been attacking this uh this plantation or whatever. Go kill it, and they die. And uh. This group that you have back here, like, hey, um, we have a distress signal coming from the first group we sent out. Go get them. I just thought of a fun way to kick off sessions in this. I was thinking about aliens. You know how in a lot of shows, they have, like, the first scene <laughs> where it shows the red shirts being picked off by the monster of the week? Mm-hmm. The session starts with the players playing the red shirts. Yes. <laughs> you guys are right on the same track. So I'm a big fan of vignettes, and I've done this before where I've had the players have characters, and then I just dismantled and destroyed their characters. I I demolished them. I've tortured them. I've done everything so that when the next when the characters pick their new when the players pick their new characters, they already had uh, an anger, a hate, a dis- uh, they already had a particular disposition towards this scene this scenario because hey, they experience yeah what's a vignette so a, a vignette no it's okay I was say, I was uh, maybe that there's too. audience people that don't know so a vignette is like um a part of a story that's told separately but is intertwined together mm. kind of like a flashback right okay. but it's not uh, that would be the closest i would relate it to is like a, a flashback if alicia wants to give us the actual definition uh, up on the board i'll, I'll read it but um, a vignette is a brief, evocative description, account, or episode, or a small illustration, or portrait, or photograph in which fades in the background without a definite border. That's definitely not the second one. It's the first one. I'll um, admit, <laughs> when you get a description, you know it's not entirely accurate. The very first thing my brain went to was, meanwhile, at the Legion of Doom. <laughs> I've, I've done this with my players already. Yeah. I started We've a session talked and about said, this hey, more than once. Yep. yeah, you guys, uh, grab some kobold stat blocks. Like, why? Like, just do it. Like, All right. Okay, we got him. All right. What's your kobold's name? Is it Jerry? What's your kobold's name? <laughs> Sam? Like, all right. So you guys are in the fire temple that you guys are protecting? Not at. Because one of their party members, uh, NPC, was kidnapped and taken to the fire temple. So they know where they're at. Uh-huh. And this is a pers- perspective from the mm-hmm. bad guy's point of view so they can see what's going what's on. Going on. Yep. What kind of tortures are happening. and mm-hmm. Just something to make them be like, I want to get there faster so I can beat the shit out of these people. Yes. And that's exactly what you, that's something you can do with a vignette. The one I've talked about before is I had the players take on the form of elves defending a, uh, a city, right? And the city was assaulted by these giant mecha- uh, mechanical construct and it was demolishing. Now they're like level nine and they're just getting demolished over left and right. And the fight is not going well. Nothing they could do um, happens. But then I stopped in the middle of the fight. They are losing. They're dying. They've gone through several character sheets. And they took on different characters. They end up working their way up, fighting this wizard who has conjured these ancient constructs to life and is trying to conquer the world. And in the last fight, they destroy this big orb. And then we flash back to the next episode or the next series where they're fighting them and they get to see the robots and the constructs as they just stop mid cycle before they're about to kill them. So they got to see the result <laughs> Of their heroes' actions on a group of NPCs. So, anyways, Got after it. all that, I now understand yes. what a vignette is. Thank you very much. And so does everyone. <laughs> <laughs> what if the effect that your PCs have on your vignette is not the effect you thought they were going to have? 
<laughs> then you shit yourself and keep going. <laughs> keep going. <laughs> like you thought you were preventing the apocalypse, but everything you've done caused it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a great twist and happens a lot in movies. So, anyways, so you do the the you do the vignette with the red shirts or whatever, yep. and they're being you're fighting and they're doing everything they can. They're using all their abilities and it's just not working. You're instilling this sense of fear. Then to follow with Brandon. <laughs> Now you give them their real characters. So now the yeah. players are already concerned because they don't know what they're – they still don't know outside of the game what's happening. So you've yep. set the tone. This thing is nigh indestructible. But maybe during that vignette, you create one or two close cl- uh, clues, something that was slightly uh, valuable. Maybe they're, uh, they, they're afraid of an acid or uh, maybe the steam from a vent. You noticed that, you know, they didn't go through it or something, you know, little clues like that, that will get overlooked by the fact that they're getting their asses kicked. Yep. And so now <laughs> with this future-esque kind of theme, we're going from just being hunters to being hunters. Oh shit, we can't kill it. So what is our next options? Run, control, contain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that makes for a fun, different style than what you would do in a 1980s setting. Yep. And that's the goal, right? Yep. You can play in any setting. You just have to adapt some of the abilities. And some of them will be easier than others. For instance, lay on hands of the divine is very much a more magical thing. So, But if I wanted it to be sci-fi, that instantly becomes like a, a syringe chemical, shoot into the arm, and it, it shoots in this yep. glowing glue, blue stuff that heals people. Or well, I have now taken my bloodstream and I touch somebody else and transfer <laughs> it over to theirs. Yeah. Zydrate. That's actually pretty cool too. It's like little nanite robots or something. Yeah, yep, that's cool. like a little prick. Yeah, there's that's all. Yeah, I'm very familiar with being a little prick. Uh, we know. So, uh, so when it comes to <laughs> custom moves and adaptations, uh, Monster of the Week is very flexible because of the general sense of what your abilities can do. And I think you know, kick some ass, for instance, is very general. You make a tough roll. And depending on that rate of the roll, you get benefits, right? Or you take mm-hmm. damage. There's different roles for that. It doesn't matter what type of get kick-ass you do. Maybe you bust in the door and throw a chair. Maybe you bust through the door with an automatic, you know, laser rifle or something. Yep. And all of that becomes good. But by simply saying, okay, I'm going to quadruple the number of harm this thing can take. After seven, the player's gonna be like, oh, why isn't this thing dead? <laughs> or it seems unaffected. It's going to change the tone of the game. Yep. So as the game master or the keeper, that's part of your responsibility to really get the 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 to set the scene and to get the tone right. This also f- falls into building tension, right? Mm-hmm. When creating memorable moments. What are some really good ways to build that tension? Ooh. Going off of the uh, red shirt example. Include NPCs the players get attached to, and then start killing them off one by one. I don't hate that idea. <laughs> so there was an episode of the X Files that I watched that was very interesting, and I thought it was one of the most unique ways I had ever seen someone build tension. So basically, we they they never really discovered like what happened to the town. They just kind of turned off this machine or whatever. But um, mm-hmm. essentially, the town just started getting weirder and weirder <laughs> and weirder. And like, um, they realized that like it, it basically was like and like 
I basically was like NPCs in a video game where they walk the same path. They say the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. Like they're very like robotic and it feels like they're robots. But in reality, they're just like there's like mind control going on. So that was mm-hmm. a very that was a very unique way that I had seen to build tension where it's like, yeah, thanks, bud. What? And it just slowly it's just it just like makes your skin crawl. And it's just like something's <laughs> not right here. I think uh, using the absence of things is really good too. So, yeah. if you're cl- so, let's go back to the the we're done talking about the the custom moves and the adaptations, but now we're back to the 1980 setting and climbing a you know a skyscraper and it just being dead silent and there being nothing. No every wind. floor they go up, and so this is hard to do. But if you can capture the eeriness, the quiet, the uncomfortable, the uncomfortable, that creates an uncomfortable tension. And we kind of covered this somewhat in a a past Halloween episode of how to craft a horror game on Crit Academy. Go check it out. Right. And... The two things I recall most is do a gradual buildup, not all at once. Mm-hmm. Like, you just can't throw Scary Monster Go right at the players. Go get him! And the other thing I mentioned, too, I recall, is your choice of diction affects things, too. Yes. Like, I think the example I gave was along the lines of, like, you can say, okay, you enter a long, dark tunnel. Or you can say, you open the door into... And you see the shaft sink down into the earth. And when you step inside, the very darkness seems to drink in the light from your torch. (laughs) And the rate at which you speak as the door opens. Oh, yeah. It is. There is such a big difference. Of a large throat of darkness. Yep. Swallowing the blinking light of your torch. Oh, yeah. Into nothingness. Or even just doing small things here and there. Not too much, mind you. To say... Justin, while you're moving forward into the uh, tunnel, I need you to roll a sharp check. What? Why? What's your result? 15. Okay. Don't do that. I hate that. I just write shit down. Like, oh, all right. Okay. That's cool. Thanks. Thanks. I've, I, 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 uh, and I, I agree with Ian because there's a lot that comes from that. I've asked for like perception checks, wisdom checks, yep. uh, wisdom saves. <laughs> and then you don't and give then, them an answer. And then don't give them an answer. <laughs> it is the most awkward and uncomfortable thing. <laughs> what happened? I'm yeah. not telling you. But, right. But, the, but that's the, the point. <laughs> yes. And so with like mind control, that's a really good, good tool. I got two good examples. That's cut directly from... Yeah. Or answering a little bit, bit extra questions here and there. So you walk in the room in what order? That sets up uncomfortable death, too. <laughs> uh, two examples straight from uh, Dead Space. And when it first came out, I was a huge fan of it. And I was watching interviews and such. And it was created by... Or all, the horror aspect of Dead Space came from directors from 80s horror movies. That's mm-hmm. why it's so bone-chilling. And they're best definition of it like you had just said is to have the lack the best the best form of fear is the lack of fear or the last lack of something being there yep. so it, your players are entering into a room and they see a uh, a monster's shadow and dissipates uh fades off in, a, in another room when they enter that room there's nothing in there you don't know where it went 
Or there could be another variation where they go into a room and they see this demonic visage, this horror looking at them, and climbs to a vent and disappears. Unfortunately, there's like five vents in every room that you want enter into. Yep. So now you don't know yep. where it's at. You can hear the trailer. The- you, you see something move in the corner of your eye, but you will look that way and there's nothing there. And fuck. Uh, ooh. You look into a mirror and you see a shadowy figure behind you, but when we turn around, there's nothing there. So, also, just kind of building room? off of that, one of one of my favorite ways that I have ever instilled fear in my players was um, I made there be they were in an abolith layer. They were in like the proximity of an abolith, so I made there be a bunch of like uh, uh, hallucinations. So mm-hmm. there was a my favorite one that I did was there was a unicorn that was drinking water. It was one of the first ones they saw it was a unicorn that was drinking water. And then the unicorn from the muzzle all the way down to its uh, its tail unzipped and all of its organs spilled out of its body onto the floor and it just collapsed. And then whenever what they the looked fuck? again, it was gone. <laughs> doing stuff like that, like not like, I mean, I mean, not gory, but like doing stuff where it's like only they see the thing. Um, I think that yep, one of yes. the fun things would, I mean, what I would do with a leprechaun episode of, this is totally off topic, but what I would do with a leprechaun episode of um, uh, Monster of the Week is I would actually make it to where the leprechaun only is allowing the um, the the players to see it. And so this leprechaun's just following them around this town, doing tricks on them and like doing shit to them. And they just have to explain it away because how do you explain there's a leprechaun following you? <laughs> I'm now thinking about a post online where I'm trying to remember how where where it goes. Like the DM says, you see a, a injured black dog walking out of the burning church. I need all of you to roll, roll perception, and all the players are like, okay, I roll this. I roll a seventeen. Okay, players, you see the dog walking towards you. Is good to go help it. Paladin, you see this. The paladin immediately goes, you do not touch that thing. <laughs> And the picture of these and the paladin with the outline oh, of the dog. Oh, that's fun. Like, give one but, person a different description. Yeah, right. But the picture they sent to the paladin was the out with a black, solid black shadow outline of the dog. But where the face should be was a outline of a human eyes and teeth smiling. <laughs> like, where what was the uh, the ch- wet chest stupid cat that smiles and is invisible? Cheshire cat. Cheshire. Mm-hmm. Cheshire. And, can, and if that's what the paladin sees, he can get more than saying like. Do not touch that thing! Yeah, I think that's a real good way to do it. Um, giving details to everyone else that they see what they see and then what the other person sees as the truth um, is interesting and is a great way to build uh, tension. I think and Blades in the Dark had one of the best ways to build tension. Yes. Um which they use the progressive clocks, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, and in yeah. and, 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 uh, Monster of the Week does a countdown, which is kind of similar, but I think the progression clocks are better because you can break them into segments and you can have multiple clocks going at one time, either based on uh, skill checks or distance traveled or whatever metric you want. You can have five or six of these different things tracking different events. You might put one out that the players can see that you mark up every time they enter a room, and it's actually a representation of how long before the monster appears, maybe. Another one might be, oh, they need to go and, you know, there's a fire start, and you got to find a way to put out the fire before 
the the ticker gets because if you don't then everything's going to burn and you're going to die or at the very least you're going to lose access to something super critical i'm going to regret this i found the post and i'm sending it to our chat okay (laughs) Uh, i'm not going to read it right now but i'll check it out later and uh by having multiple progress clocks you force the players to find ways to deal with the different situations and the different rates that they're running at yep so outside of that music is another good way to build tension yes everyone's seen jaws right you know that is designed to build tension and games do this in music changes and enhanced sound effects so there's a lot you can do i think in the horror games that i've run with the haunted i like to have a um a track in the background and a button I can press that makes like a scream, right? Yeah. Um, and to me, that is a good way to ensure that tension is built. Or maybe it's, a, it's a, like a very low volume, a heartbeat going. <sighs> That's uncomfortable and I do terrifying. want to just take a second though and to say, because you just mentioned the scream thing, make sure you get consent from your players to spook them, <laughs> you know? Because, like, if I got a jump scare in the middle of a game, I would jump out of my freaking seat if somebody just randomly played a scream in the middle of a game. Get. Get. Yeah, I don't know that I ever did that. And Alicia, Get. I'm pretty sure, made the guys nearly piss themselves one day. That's hilarious. Um, that is so no. funny. <laughs> Get. But I do remember there one game where a DM one time went, and it's the sound you hear. And then the DM himself, on the spot, somebody screamed high-pitched on top of his lungs. But the thing was, that was so loud, so high-pitched. My inner thought was, I am this close to punching him for that. Because he's being um, no, no, cause it was obnoxious or just... Yes. And it should have hurt my ears, too. Oh, well, that's a bit too much. Yeah. Some people, um, like, you know, the the sound of metal scraping against something, that sound literally makes them want to, like, scream. Like, it, it, it gives them headaches. So it's just good to, to check and make sure that sound effects are totally chill with everyone. But if sound effects are chill with everyone, have ads. Because it's... Uh, personally, personally, sound effects in music are way more meaningful in a ttrpg than voices yeah. and i'll say this too kind of as another asterisk if at any point the G- keeper gm whatever uses like sound effects or the, the or or jump scare that you don't care for feel f- it is okay to say hey can you please not do that again that made me feel very very uncomfortable physically <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Sometimes yeah. just open conversation is super important to running a great game. Because I think some of the issues I've had with like uh, some people are don't f- want that kind of thing, but are so not confrontational. They don't say anything when they should be. Right. Definitely something that can be. If that makes uh, any sense. It is never from. considered confrontation to advocate for yourself. And I don't that. think. I agree. I don't think this is very people. Not everyone understands that necessarily. Right. But. All right. So moving away from building tension. Because um, yeah, I remember, like in past games, actually, when you built a character who was basically a straight up cannibal, and you got very descriptive in what you're eating, and even Matt eventually went like, "Could you please not do that? That's making me feel very uncomfortable." <laughs> yeah. And you said, "Oh, okay, no problem." Yeah. Inside, I wasn't saying that, but right out- outwardly, I was very understanding. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I got a red flag system for my players. You got a what? A red flag system for my players. But mine's a, a secretive. Because I always have my laptop next to me when I'm DMing. Like scratching your ear or something, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, no. Because um, I have my Discord open. They send me a red flag emoji like directly to me if they have something wrong. 
Oh, so then I'll talk to them. Yep. Well, we're supposed to talk advanced GM strategies. I think I like that. Having a red flag system that's subtle that no other people are aware of mm-hmm. to right. give you the alert that something is wrong, whether it's something you're doing wrong or something else. I also have them send me a uh, emoji of a train when we derail. <laughs> so we can we, get back we, to We it. totally need that for the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just a big giant train steamrolling. <laughs> yeah. And I think an important thing, too, when you communicate something like that, even privately, don't just say, this is a problem, or I have a problem with this. Say, why is the problem? Yes. Can't fix it if if it's not understood well. Defining the uh, problem is half the battle. So, moving on to collaborative storytelling. Does everyone here have a particular skill uh, or technique or something that they use to enhance um, player co-creation of the world? As we kind of touched on already, which in the last Master episode, the, I think, yeah, which Master of the Week does very well is you flesh out your character's background, how your characters know each other immediately, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. pulling at those strings, both as a player yeah. and the, as a keeper or a GM, is a good way to build off of things. Now, there are some elements, so I think you should like uh, clarify things with players ahead of time. Like I've been in a game, I used this as an example in the past, where the end of the session, where a DM and one game went, you enter the bar and there's your brother saying, we need your help. And my reaction was, I have a brother. (laughs) (laughs) So there is, uh, that I think would go well under the next uh, advanced GMing strategies. Yeah. Um, Collaborative storytelling. I touched briefly and Brandon kind of touched on this with me. One of my core things is I want the players. So if I describe an intricate, you walk into um, the store with the door squeaking or squeaking as it opens up. A a short, stout gentleman with a long, tangly beard um, stands behind the counter, polishing what looks to be a gem wrapped in some sort of golden idol. To the left, there is a cluster of knickknacks, uh, of multiple cultures all around. Some look ancient, some look newer. As you walk over to the antique owner, um, you approach him, what do you say? That is very typical of how it's set up and how somebody would do that. But if Brandon walks in and feeds me information and I ask him to describe the NPC and to give the NPC a name, what are the odds he's going to remember that much better than when I described it? Much higher. What do you think, Alex? I think that that's good. I think that that's a good idea. But in doing so, as the DM, you need to write that name down. Well, maybe, maybe not. Oh my if god! If you remember yeah. it. So there is some there is some issues that arise with that, but that is collaborative storytelling. I am letting them build the scenario. Mm-hmm. If I know that you're they're walking into the antique shop, I may have a name for the person already. But all the details being created by another player not only takes less work off me, it gets them involved in the world. And if somebody says, I want to investigate to find a little bit about this monster that slaughtered these people on the space station, well, where would you like to go? Well, is there a place I can look? Sure. Where would it be? I'm going to go to the, what are the stupid uh, the things in Star Wars, the little cubes that they're hollow cubes. What is that place? It's a big library. What do they call it? Something else, though. Um, holocron. Well, the cube's, well, the the cubes holocron. a holocron, but I don't remember the... Ho- I don't, what? I know they stored the holocron. 
I, I can't remember. Do, the name do you think it's called the archive? Maybe it's the archive. I know that the archive exists, and I'm going to go there. Okay, who who the do you know library. there that you've met? <laughs> and so now you're creating the story and you're building the story of the character because the character's now already been there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, tell me, why do you think it would be there? Who do you know? Um, and what happens as instead of the GM having to develop all of the stuff in advance, all I need to know is there is a library that houses information. I don't need to write out a whole book of all the people that run it, though sometimes people like doing that, and that's perfectly fine. In Monster of the Week, more of the storytelling power is in the player's hand than it is in the game master's hand. And a good example of that is the eye sideways eye blinking guy. I made that guy up mm-hmm. on the fly because I needed something for my character to be paranoid about. So I was like, maybe he thinks an old guy sitting on a bench is an alien or something. I don't know. So then I, I pulled that into the character and that became part of the story. The game master or keeper didn't do that. I did that. And when it comes to games like Monster of the Week or any RPG, really, you really want to lean into that collaborative aspect of the game because players have good stories to tell, too. And plus, they will put themselves in situations Mm -hmm. that are interesting, (laughs) Um, especially if you let them uh, create them, which I think is fun. What are some other techniques for collaborative storytelling? I think one of the most important techniques for collaborative storytelling is understanding that it's not you versus the player. Uh-huh. Yep. I think that's, that's a common misconception. Unless they've it is. done seven luck and got doomed, then, the, then it is yeah, the then, player then versus fucked. the keeper. <laughs> but um, I definitely think one of the biggest things that you need to understand is that this is a collaborative effort, especially yes. in Monster of the Week, it's collaborative. Mm-hmm. And um, to work with your players, like Justin said, you know, when your player says, oh, there's a guy there, don't be like, there's not a guy there. Like, let there be a guy that's there. That's happened to me. It's <laughs> fine. Um, like, if if somebody says they have a brother, say, okay, you have a brother now. And like it don't don't dissuade the way to in not only that, but it will get people more invested and more interactive and encourage yeah. them to do it more. Um, they are also storytellers with you. Even though you are the one that is doing all the NPCs and doing all the all the that doesn't mean that they're any less of a storyteller. Right. And every little bit helps. And that is a good way to keep them invested. It goes back to earlier conversations in the previous episode about keeping the players engaged. It's easier to do that when they have a hand in building the world. Yep. I actually did that recently with a, a player. I tell, tell them to ask, or ask them to tell me what, what they see somewhere. It's like, oh, you guys, you find a, a bookshelf in uh, Torin's old bedroom. And she used to be a, a school teacher. It's like, okay, what kind of books are there? Like, well, what kind of books do you see? So it's, uh, yeah. I see a science book. Is there a science book? It's like, yes, there's a science book. It's like, I, I want to borrow it. All right, good. Uh, from this point forward, anytime you try to do a, a perception check on something based on sci- scientific uh, means, you have a lot of advantage on it. Or like, how's, how's gasoline light? How does this uh, spell jammer's crystal work? Yeah. I like that. But even though I like the idea of like a pulling from other players characters i do think you should be careful to a point of inserting too much stuff into other players well yeah because then they'll take advantage of it well especially asking them first like some like saying like as i mentioned before here's your brother i have a brother well that's different that's somebody impeding on somebody else's character right whereas if if we did something more lines like you're gonna say here quick do the thing we did in boston yeah i remember we did in boston i got shot (laughs) It worked, didn't it? 
That's a great. So that's a, he. Ian just put a really great uh, point in there. Um, when the world building happens, it doesn't have to be the physical scene, right. but can be something that is previous, right? Um, the the whole Boston thing. If that's just made up. The and then on the spot, and then there's a counter a- answer to it. Now everyone else is like, what the hell happened in Boston? Why the hell did he get shot? You know, it creates a story that didn't exist not 30 seconds ago, but it builds interest and curiosity. Right. But it's also vague enough, too, where you don't step on the other player's toes either. Yes. And I think that that's important, though. I could see somebody like, I've never been to Boston. Well, you're supposed to roll with that's the idea. But if your character is a hermit, they probably haven't been anywhere else. So shame on that yeah, like it's easily spinning around going, that wasn't me, you idiot. That's a double gay impersonating me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then now, now he's got to explain what happened. Right. <laughs> now do be, this. <laughs> that would be such a fun episode of Monster of the Week to do a doppelganger. Ooh, and you slip a note to one of the players in the beginning. You're the doppelganger. Just don't act like it until this happens. No, <laughs> oh, yeah. that's was, such uh, a good idea. Telling them in advance. I like that. That is a good engage. So let, let's let's jump on that since we're talking collaboration. Yep. You can give information to the players ahead of time, but you don't have to give them all the same piece of information. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the greatest games I've ever ran was a court scene. And I didn't want to just sit talking to myself the whole time. So I gave yes. all the players little strips that had a name, a motive, a truth, a lie, and some other uh, interesting mannerism or feature. And so they got called to the stand and they all went off this rift and they didn't know what anyone else had. They yep. didn't know anybody else's motives. They did know if they were connected to somebody in some capacity, for instance, if my character was bribed by Ian's character to say a certain thing, I know that. So now I have to... In theory, I would know that too. Yeah, you well, you would both know, right? Because right. it would be on your sheets. So that creates a conspiracy. What is it called when two people... In cahoots? Yep. Uh, in cahoots. A collaboration. So then now how they react on stand <laughs> is based on that information and knowing that. And it impacts the story in a way that no GM can predict. Mm-hmm. And it was glorious. I'm so. Not, I'm not picturing early on if if the player ends up being a double the whole time. It's because their character may have been, for example, kidnapped early on. And the twist is they get killed. But then the double by shifts back to its regular form. Which allows you to, to then insert the character back into the game later. Oh, that is cool. Yeah. I like that. So, um... <laughs> I'd like to hear Brandon's thoughts, but you touched on something that I think is interesting when it comes to this. So because we're talking doppelgangers, there's a book series I read and I love it. I love Brandon's series material, but the whole time this character is critical to the story just to find out that they were replaced very early, very early on. And it is, if you do that in your game and in your story, they were they were set to investigate that and they shared knowledge but a lot of the knowledge piggybacked off what the person that was already replaced was sharing mm-hmm. so you take it as a truth which makes the betrayal or this twist mm-hmm. that more impactful and i was devastated when i learned it and i think we can bring that to our games with good collaborative storytelling yeah. so yeah if you come up with something like that, share it with your player, then get feedback. Say, what would you think this character would do in this situation? And can we work together to make it unfold in a fun way? 
That sounds fun. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Or a similar vein, turn the character's family member or, or best friend into a monster. Oh, dude. I'm, I'm down. <laughs> I'm so down for this. Actually... Uh, one time Jack was Jack was at my table and Jack really wanted to play this unearth arcana that was a zombie. And so we killed Jack without telling anyone that we were going to like we didn't tell anyone that we were planning on killing Jack. But it was stuff like that. Whenever those are some of the most memorable moments whenever I get a player in on it. Yes. And I think that that really builds on the collaborative storytelling. Um, so one of the last things that I wanted to talk about was um, techniques for deepening lore. Um, in Crit Academy, I have spent a lot of time talking about how to make lore more fun, more engaging in a game. And Monster of the Week is a really great uh, uh, way to uh, – is another great RPG that you can really benefit from this. So aside from just doing the, the roll of dice to know what you learn, you can include – obvious clues in things that allude to what might be going on or in the summer fashion give them pieces of the puzzle but they don't realize you can change how the, the puzzle's actually arranged <laughs> oh that's interesting in the anime darara for example the episodes are not necessarily uh, shown in like um sequential order right and combine the fact that each episode is from a different character's perspective. Is that explain why it was so confusing when I was trying to watch it? Yes. I was like, third episode, and I was like, this is stupid. I have no idea what's going on. I'm I will smart admit, enough for this. I had to sit down. I didn't watch it. If you kept on going, though, all the threads would suddenly start weaving together. And you go, oh, okay. And it ended up being the, in the season one finale. Spoiler alert. Right. The You basically knew that, that a gang existed. And one of the two characters mentioned they were part of the gang. No big deal. And you, you knew there was an unknown gang leader. And then the... Final episode, so it ended where one character realized, revealed that he was the gang leader the entire time. This was a character you would not have expected at all. And in the episode, and during the confrontation, he's like, I, please do this or I'll send a message to the entire group. And the person's like, you're bluffing. And then he goes, okay, fine. They send a text that's just the gang. And then suddenly every cell phone in the crowd starts going off <laughs> in the crowd as if everyone's part of it. And and you see the characters in the background, which of course implied everybody there was part of the gang, and that included characters that you knew already, but they realized they were, they were part, part of it. it. That's really cool. I get some John Wick uh, flashbacks when he's walking through that park, right? Yes. Love that All scene. right. Uh, Brand, uh, so the, the, uh, the thing I want to talk about this is tying the lore to the setting, right? Yep. So I'm going to go back to our Monster of the Week adventure that we did with the, 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 the gremlin, right? Oh. Mm-hmm. The... If I wanted to engage in more of the lore of why the gremlin was mm-hmm. pick that location, for instance, maybe a standout feature of that diner is that it's windows on three walls yep. and it's very bright, right? Because then it fits the theme of the the goblin, yeah. the goblin, the goblin, the gremlin, whatever the hell it was. Yeah. Um. So you can tie that into clues about the monsters in the setting itself. Mm-hmm. And I think that we can do that really, really well, in a, and in particularly a monster setting, because monsters have lore, they have history, right? If, you know, there's... Okay, let's go back to the werewolf thing we talked about earlier, right? Yep. Uh, werewolf uh, sightings are a thing, it happens, people are attacked. But maybe one of the areas that's never had any events is a small silver shop. Where they sell antique mm-hmm. silverware and plates and stuff. That then 
well, um, we connect the dots and find out this is the only place the sighting hasn't happened. That is a clue. They may not find much more about that, but then that becomes a clue as they're looking and trying to find more information in lore. So if you want to expand and deepen the lore and mythology of your, your characters, your monsters, tie them into the setting of why they would be where they're at and what's going on there. Do you have anything you do, Brandon? Honestly, it is improv. Like in one of my maps, there's a giant trench between two continents that wasn't there before. They were thrown to the future or whatever. And uh, one of the players that uh, decided to join later in the campaign, he made a character, but was from that specific timeline. So he knows how that was made. And that's because there's two moons up in the sky. One of them is from the world. When an asteroid hit it, it blew off a chunk of the world and it became a new moon. That's cool. And now there's debris that floats around. So that becomes the lore of the scarred lands, right? That became the lore of the sky and the lands, and it's also the lore of the the actual final threat that the players are. So what's cool with. about that is not only did you deepen the lore, but you tied it into a character. So you'd kind of double whammy that, and I think that that's really good, even if you <laughs> did make it up on the fly. But sometimes that's okay. You don't need to know everything, and Monster of the Week fits really well into that theme in that category, right? <laughs> um, I like improv. It's fun. Is there anything else you wanted to add to that, Alex? Yeah. So one of the ways that I was kind of thinking about adding lore to the world is um, in Persona 5, there is basically um, these doors in these back alleys that lead you to a place where you can upgrade and update your character, right? Um, And one of the ways that could be really fun to tie lore in is if there was... um, a man who just knew way too much. He in in you know, then if you found a back alley with a random door that was painted pink, it's like oh he's here too. Like like have a reoccurring, have a reoccurring mm-hmm. character over and over again in all these different places, and then it becomes kind of an indicator that if you see that reoccurring door if you see the door there you go oh shit something's going on in here like what's going on okay so it could be a thing where you start chasing down these doors because the guy only has doors in places of interest i like that that's really cool Mm -hmm. i say i do that every capital city has a uh, spire that uh airships uh dock at Mm -hmm. and there's an old man named marwin and he's a janitor there of course there is yeah he's a janitor uh, but his uh, broom closet happens to be like his uh, astral plane dimension uh, sanctum. It connects that's to the, all the spires? It connects to all the spires. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so that's really cool. And there's lore that can probably go with that that can be fleshed out too, right? Yeah. Maybe that, maybe that, the, that, maybe that room was already there and they tied all the portals to it or, or the, the different locations to the intersecting ley lines or something. Now here is our Unearthed Tips and Tricks system agnostic content for your tabletop RPG game. Our player tip of the podcast is setting short-term and long-term goals for your characters. As a player, we know that setting goals for your character can help you be engaged and invested in the story and the game world itself. So by giving your character a short-term goal and a long-term goal, you really can provide a sense of direction and purpose, not only for your character, but for the, from the game master's perspective as well. Um, and it gives that good narrative driven story. Now you may be asking yourself, well, what is a short-term goal? Brandon, what is a short-term goal? 
I need to have money to eat. That is a very short-term goal. Yeah. <laughs> what can I do to get money right now so I can eat? <laughs> Ian, what's another short-term goal? Where's the nearest bar so I can get drunk? Okay. <laughs> Alex? I have read all of the books that I am carrying right now, and I need to find more. Hmm. Doable. Next down. All right. So uh, a, a short-term goal is a smaller, achievable goal that can be accomplished in a, a short period of time, whether it's a couple adventures, a single, you know, a single encounter, whatever it is. And it could be as simple as getting drunk, uh, completing a specific quest, defeating a very particular type of monster, which I think is great for like the ranger type archetypes that have a favored enemy yep. um, or just searching out a specific item. Short term ones are designed to be kind of uh, give you a sense of accomplishment and fill out that dopamine, you know, <laughs> dopamine dip you need to, to want to keep going. Right. I need a new sword. You need a new sword. Well, if I kill that orc over there, I can have his axe in the interim. <laughs> they don't carry swords, unfortunately, usually. So how is that different than a long-term goal, uh, Alex? So long-term goals are more things that you want to do over multiple sessions and maybe even over the entire campaign. Uh, for example, one of my one of my significant other's goals for the character Uskar Emberhelm was to be knighted. He really, really wanted to be knighted. And it took an entire, like, mm, three months of, like, every week sessions and and uh, I think two levels. I think it was two levels that they that they went going into this abolith layer, um, you know, figuring out what was going on, defeating the abolith in order for him to be crowned a knight. And what's so fun about long term goals is that short term goals you don't really like celebrate, but long term goals, long term goals can have celebrations, and that can be really fun as well. The thing that I really like about them is they help shape a character's you yes. know, development over time. Uh, nothing but that one joke character I made. That one character named Racha who had to become a knight. Yeah. Sir Racha. Sir, <laughs> Sir Racha. So, oh my god. Oh, amazing. <laughs> yep. See, yep. that's why I thought when you played the character in Blades in the Dark Crunch, your goal was to be a captain. Because that's totally something that you would have done. And I was like, he's like, what the crap are you talking about? <laughs> so, by setting goals for characters, you guys... Um, you can create a more immersive and dynamic experience for both yourself as well as the players at the table. Now, here are some really good examples of setting goals and what they can do. Increased engagement. You know, by setting goals, you get to, you have to kind of pay attention to the game um, and stay invested in the story. My favorite is it gives a clear direction. So even in a sandbox game, if the player characters have goals, they have a direction that they want to go, a clear vision of what they want. Um, and that means they can make choices that are meaningful in that direction, right? Yep. Um, and, you know, it also is a powerful tool. Because you've got the meaningful choices, you can kind of uh, um, give a good framework for the way your can what your character cares about, right? For instance, let's say my long-term goal is to find my long-lost sibling. That's my, my, my goal. So meaning decisions and actions I take and choices I make are going to reflect if I complete my goal of my long time of finding my sibling, what do, what do I want to be able to tell them about my journey that I burned down an inn full of innocent people <laughs> mm -hmm. that I rescued a 
kitten displacer beast from a tree or that I saved a kingdom or I burnt a kingdom to the ground. Depending on the character's motivations, your long-term goals can kind of shape that a little bit. And of course it builds collaborative storytelling. Um, this allows us to con contribute to kind of the whole campaign as a whole, especially if you work with your GM and the other players to tie into your short and long-term goals. Searching for the six-figured man. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to, to die. die. Mm -hmm. That is a really, really great long-term goal. Yep. Because that goal developed his character into being one of the best swordsmen yep. that we know of. Right? Sure. Well, Price has a really good long-term goal, and that is that she's a warlock. She's got a patron, the Void. She wants to become her own patron. She wants to, like, Gift other warlocks power? Yeah, she, that's what she wants to become. She wants to be a patron. That's cool. That's fine. And I'm slowly getting it to that point. Mm -hmm. uh, that to me is like a retirement moment too, right? Where that happens and then you write up a new stat block. And, pretty much. And, uh, not a new stat block. You write up a, a monster stat block for that character and then you write up a new class, warlock subclass, unique to that patron. All right. So what do you guys think about the short-term, long-term goals overall? Overall, they're good to have, and, and I definitely think they're more appropriate for some groups and some games than others, but overall, they're a good idea. Yeah. Monster of the Week, I can imagine it's a little harder to do long-term goals. De um, depends on if you do one-shots or actually an ongoing campaign. Yeah. Well, as I said, I imagine it can be harder, because typically, yeah. they're they're shorter adventures, so... Uh, they're necessary. I really? agree. Yeah. Or, or in the first season of Super Natural, their goal is to find their, their missing dad. <laughs> yeah. Then they still lose them. So you don't have to... The, if you don't develop short-term or long-term goals when you're a player, then all you're there is just to listen to a story and be part of it. And that's okay. It, Some people like that, but it's not as engaging, I think, right? Yeah. I, I just imagine it gets looking. boring and stale over time unless you get your own thing going on. The person, but to us, it probably would. I'm actually, I'm actually in the same boat as Brandon. I also think that they are incredibly necessary. Um, especially in the context of like long format games. I understand in short format games, they might not be necessary, but even like, again, whenever we played um, Monster of the Week, Maddie's short-term goal or long-term goal was to go on a date because she has never gone on a date before because she turned into a were-rat before she had been on a date and now she's running, right? And so the, it, it kind of, it, it, it's kind of necessary in my personal opinion to have some sort of short-term and long-term goal, even if those goals are, I want to kill a beholder. Like I want to, I want to, I want to hold a beholder's eye in my hand. I mean, even though that's like not necessarily like super narrative based. Like you would need two hands. I know you need like two hands to hold the beholder's eye, but wouldn't that be fun though? But like to be honest, like even though it's not necessarily like um narrative based, it's more combat based, it is still narrative in nature and it's necessary in order to continue the game going without having to just be like, yeah, you're all just together because you're together. Screw it. Definitely think it helps. Yeah. Or a rain ranger whose goal is to make a perfect grilled cheese. What the fuck? <laughs> okay, you laugh. But a ranger, especially when one with the chef feet, needs to travel travel to various destinations and hunt down various exotic ingredients. I'm down for that. And I'm down for that. Merc will be plural. Yep. You have not lived until you had a grilled cheese made from the milk of a manticore. Um, 
Wow. Dude. <laughs> needs to be aged properly. They don't have milk. They're mammals. <laughs> milk to cow for you. We ain't got a cow. We got, <laughs> we got a, a bull. bull. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a bad movie. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think that'll do huh. it for our player tip of the podcast. <laughs> don't be a dick. Set short-term <laughs> and long-term <laughs> goals for your characters. There's a lot you can do when it comes to Monster of the Week or your RPGs when it comes to running solid, engaging, and story-driven adventures. Hopefully, you're able to learn a little something from us today. Um, we hope you enjoyed today's show. If you want to support us, head on over to CritAcademy.com. Uh, follow us on social media. Uh, leave us a review. Go and visit our social media page because they aren't going to send it to you. Um, so if you like our content, check it out. Not one, not two, not three, not four, but five stars if you can. Yes. I am your host, Justin. <laughs> I'm your host, Ian. I'm your co-host, Alex. And I'm your co-host, Brandon. Thanks for listening. Have fun on your adventures and... Don't be a dick! <laughs>